0: Let us now turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and take up one verse there that has in it three precious statements that are full of meaning for us. I hope that as we go through chapter 12, and I have mentioned it, and I'll mention it again right now, that we remember the first two verses. The first two verses give us a mandate that many have memorized and know to be the application of the first 11 chapters. Let me read them to you again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. That living sacrifice that we're to make of presenting our bodies holy and acceptable to God, which is only a reasonable service, and that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is found for us in verse 12 of this chapter, along with the verses surrounding it. So let's take up this 12th verse and go through these three phrases. Now we just had a young brother talk about the density of Psalm 1. Would he like to consider the density of Romans twelve twelve? And look at those short little phrases and how much meaning they have, and I agree with the young brother about Psalm one and how much it has to say in prefacing that book and leading us into its pages. But look at this verse Romans twelve twelve. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer. How many wasted words are there in the verse? Other than a few necessary prepositions, they are power-packed. And I hope that we can be encouraged, instructed, warned, and convicted by them today. First of all, let's take the first of these phrases. Rejoicing in hope. We don't want to just be hopeful Christians. We don't want to just have hope. We want to be excited about our hope, glad, thankful, and happy about it, and rejoicing in it. We don't want to have some mental knowledge that if I die and depart this body, it is to be present with the Lord. We want to be excited about that so that we would say, it is far better to depart and be with Christ than to be here. I would hope that by the end of this day, in just a few hours, that we will be saying to ourselves, I wish I could die right now. That's rejoicing in hope. I heard that, brother. You've told me that for years. We want to rejoice in hope. There are things that have been brought about in my life that I'm able to see. Lack of hope here and there, and a lack of rejoicing in hope here and there. We want more than a bare knowledge of what happens after death. We want to be excited about it. We want to be like the apostle. We want to see some of the statements that scripture has about death and the great victory that's been brought about by the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get to read in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is swallowed up in victory. Are we rejoicing about that fact? You know, a funeral isn't a happy place to go, but it ought to be happy when a believer dies and believers are present. It ought to be a happy event. Rejoicing in hope. Hope is the expectation of a desire. You want something and you are looking forward to it. You are expecting it. And that is what hope is in the Bible. It isn't some, maybe, maybe this will happen, maybe this won't happen. That isn't hope. And some people use the word hope that way, but they're not biblically based. Biblically based is to understand that hope is expectation of a desire. Our desires are based on the promises that God has made and they are certainly going to come to pass. And we should be expecting them and we should be excited about them because it says to rejoice in this hope. Faith is confidence in God and His Word. Hope is the patient waiting for promises of that Word. Faith believes what God has said, but some things that God has said are future, so we don't have them yet. They're not past existing things. They're future coming things. But we have hope in them because we have faith in God's Word. So the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. God tells us about things we can't see. God tells us about things that are coming. Faith believes everything God says. And it creates hope expecting that desire to be fulfilled in our lives. Because God said it. And that makes it absolutely And finally, true. Hope is not baseless. It is not fantasy or wishful thinking. That would just be delusional optimism. Hope is based in God. Hope is based in God's character. Hope is based in God's words. And that makes it wonderful. And hope is based in His promises of future things. And the Bible is filled with examples of those. And you may look at those at any time you wish. Hope is reasonable. It's not a fantasy. Right. It's not wishful thinking. Right. It's not delusional optimism. Hope is very logical and reasonable and can be defined and explained. And that's why we have 1 Peter 3.15 that says, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason, a reason of, the hope. of the hope that is within you. Amen. A reason of it. Hope is very reasonable because it depends upon God's promise of a future event. And God will bring every future event to pass by his almighty power. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform it. And so we rest upon that and we are able to give a reason for the hope. I hope that we're living in such a way. I hope that you're living in hope in such a way you're asked about your hope. Because that verse assumes that we ought to be asked about our hope. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give a reason to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. They should be able to see hope where the rest of the world is hopeless and ask us a reason for our hope. And we should be ready at that time to answer them. Hopelessness is an evil blight and curse on men. Hope is a gift from God for your joy and peace. We should live totally different from this world. Listen, this world and the princes of this world and their wisdom come to naught, and yet we've been given wisdom, hidden wisdom from God. It is the secret wisdom. It is the mystery that is revealed in the pages of Scripture about things unseen, future things that the world cannot know about, does not know about, cannot discern them, cannot judge them. They are foolishness to them, and yet they're wonderful to us. We should live an entirely different way than the hopelessness of those around us. Hopelessness is the painful belief that nothing will do any good and the future is only full of pain and trouble. It's the soul-destroying resignation and despair that there is no relief within or without. And we have it in every part of your life. There should be no young person in this church that is not yet married, that wants to be married, that is hopeless. The Bible is the book of the reversal of fortune of every part of life. From a Manasseh sitting in a prison in Babylon where he, no, he did not belong to be in a prison in Babylon. Manasseh belonged in hell. Because if you read about the sins of that particular king of Judah, he was the worst king of Judah. But the Lord delivered him out of that prison and put him back in his throne. And he knew that the Lord, he was God. Amen. And we've sinned like Manasseh. The reversal of fortune in the Bible is wonderful. And the blessings that God has poured out upon our congregation in so many different ways. In the ways of employment, in the ways of marriage, in the ways of health, in the ways of miracles, the ways of finances, and the ways of truth that the Lord's opened up to us. Listen, the Lord is wonderful and He's glorious. I don't care if you want to consider the uh, the verdict of the jury that came out last evening in the state of Florida. Ha oh, There's a God in heaven that still brings about justice, even in a nation that no longer wants justice. But they do a little bit in the state of Florida, and we're thankful for that. We'll have more to say in way of thanksgiving to God for that. We should live in hope. The Bible tells us in Romans 15 and verse 13 that he's the God of hope. Our religion is the most hopeful. Pagan religions take your firstborn, promise you nothing, show you nothing, and they're hopeless. Look Look at our religion. Our God is the God of hope. Romans fifteen thirteen says, Now the God of hope. Amen. So it's attached to His name because He's the God of hope. And the verse goes on to say, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope. Yes. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. What is the one thing that you need to do in Romans fifteen thirteen to get the blessings of being filled with all joy and peace and abounding in hope? Those are three blessings you get for doing one thing. And it's done by the power of God. What's the one thing you're supposed to be doing to subscribe to Romans fifteen thirteen? Believing. God said, said, God has said things. we believe those things. as we believe those things, God, the Holy Spirit, increases our joy, peace and hope, until we're filled with the first two and abounding in the last one. That's a wonderful religion. This is what the Bible teaches. If you don't have hope in your life, if you don't have a smile on your face, a bounce in your step, you are not much of a Christian.? There's too much hope. The the Apostle Paul could sing in the innermost prison in shackles, naked, having been beaten in public. In Acts chapter 16. The martyrs behaved the same way in the flames of pagan and papal Rome. And we ought to live that way. Even facing total economic ruin, we should be rejoicing in the hope of the reversal of fortune or... If God does not reverse the fortune, that He is yet our God, and we will spend eternity with Him. Right. Do you know how to find the little book of Habakkuk in your Old Testament? Habakkuk. It com- I don't want to tell you what it comes after or what it comes before. It won't help you too much. Habakkuk. Oh, this is a wonderful description of the kind of hope and the kind of rejoicing in hope That a believer ought to have. Now even when you're facing total economic ruin, God is able to completely reverse your economic professional fortunes or, like I've already said, if He does not do so, He is able to bless you in other ways to where you would scoff and mock at economic recovery because you wouldn't care. The Apostle Paul, though very poor, knew he was richer than any man on earth. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 17. It's chapter 3 and verse 17. The last three verses of the book of Habakkuk. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. That is total economic ruin For an agrarian society like Israel was. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Now put this to music and sing it. Is what it says. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Wonderful three verses. This is rejoicing in hope. He'll make your feet like the feet of a female deer, so light. And we want our feet to be light and our steps light and our faces smiling and our hearts merry as we rejoice in hope. We don't want to just have an intellectual hope. We want to have a spiritual, enlivening, heartfelt hope where we're excited about it and we, we have to stir ourselves up to it. God doesn't provide it all together without you doing some believing, according to Romans fifteen thirteen. And we are supposed to get together to comfort one another with the words of Scripture. We're not to sorrow as others which have no hope, 1 Thessalonians 4, but that passage goes on to say, wherefore comfort one another with these words. We need to be talking to each other about the hope of eternal life about the hope of the resurrection, about the hope of it being far better to depart and to be with Christ than to be here in this world with you or me. This is the word of the Lord to us. Even facing horrific persecution, the Lord Jesus Christ taught His apostles that when they were persecuted and called vile names and done and all sorts of things done to them, it's found in Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Rejoice! And leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. How in the world can you rejoice and leap for joy. When you're being battered, pulled apart in the rack, fed to lions, burned at the stake. And all the other things that were done to the apostles. Well the Lord Jesus Christ told you. Your reward is great in heaven. And heaven is more real than earth. It's going to last. This This earth is going to go away the earth that you know in just a few years, you're going to be saying to each other in heaven, can you remember what it was like down there? And the other person's going to say no. Were we ever down there? That sounds terrible. What you're describing sounds terrible. You went to a zoo? To see what? Look at the angels. It's only going to be better. We should be rejoicing in hope. Death is called the king of terrors in the Bible. We'll have more to say on that afterwards. The world fears death and the Bible protects Properly calls it the king of terrors. But death to the believer is far better than life. Believest thou this? How much do you believe it this morning? Would you respond like the the, uh, the, the women of Bethany did? With the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 11? God's promised eternal life to us before the world began. And it is our hope. Look at Titus, the first chapter. The little book of Titus in front of the book of Hebrews. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life. In hope of eternal life. Where did that life come from, that eternal life? What what was the origin? What was the source? In hope of eternal life. Which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Before the world was formed, before Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. God had promised eternal life to His elect who are described in the first verse of this chapter. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Notice, faith comes first, then hope. Faith of God's elect, the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life. God gives a man faith. The Bible presents the truth to that man. The man believes it, and in that truth is the hope of eternal life, because without it, we wouldn't know a thing about it. Because the world does not know about it, and if they did, have it presented to them, which... Men do from time to time, they consider it foolishness. Right. But it's in hope of eternal life. We can go to 2.13, looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a hope in the Bible that's called the blessed hope. And the blessed hope is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have hope of the resurrection of the dead, and if we don't have hope of heaven, and if we don't have hope of something better than this, after this, then we are of all men most miserable. 1 Corinthians 15:19, a verse that was quoted and used several times yesterday. And I hope that we all understand exactly what it means and how horrifying it would be if we didn't have a hope of eternal life. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, then we better have a hope in Christ that is not just in this life. We better have a hope in Christ that is in another life to come. Then we are not of all men most miserable. A life of self-denial, believing in Jesus, and singing, Oh, how I love Jesus, That only relates to this life, is of all men most miserable. It is the worst religion. To live a life of self-denial with no reward. But there is a huge reward for every single thing you do. I believe it was just last Lord's Day I showed you in Ephesians chapter 6, That a man who works hard in the job, it's in Colossians chapter 3 as well, a man who works hard in the job shall receive the reward of the inheritance. And he has a master in heaven that will give him a paycheck that's going to dwarf every single one of those little pay stubs that you get that are actually a laughing matter in comparison to what he's going to do for us in heaven. But bare hope is not enough, brethren. It's not appropriate for God's purposes. We should rejoice in hope. The future for believers is so good... And sure that joy should result no matter your life circumstances. Your life circumstances shouldn't get you down because heaven is so much greater. Look at how the Bible puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in the last two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. If you can hear it, here we go. For our light affliction. Now who is speaking? Paul. Would you call his affliction light? No. But your affliction is light. Your affliction is nothing. It is not measurable compared to his. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. What if you're born sick and you live 70 years sick? Does that qualify in this verse? Yes, because in comparison to heaven, it is still but a moment. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I like the terminology of scripture. This is how we build up our faith right now. For those of you that are 60, 70, 80 years of age, is it true that life is but a moment and you have reached 60, 70, 80 in just a moment of time? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Who picked those words? The Holy Spirit of the living God. And it's in these words that we teach for hope. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's very light. It only lasts a second. It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight. It is an exceeding weight of glory. It is going to overwhelm you. The Apostle Paul was given a law when he came back from heaven that he couldn't speak about the things that he saw. You wouldn't have been able to handle them. He wouldn't have been able to handle talking about them. So the Lord kept him silent and had to give him a, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him so that he wouldn't open his mouth about the things that he saw. Because it had been too much for your ears to hear and too much for his mouth to say. He'd have been swelled in his pride. It, just look at the words. Verse. I want to. I want to read verse seventeen about ten more times before I get it out of my system. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. An exceeding weight of glory instead of a light affliction, and it's for eternity instead of a moment. Right. The contrast by the Holy Spirit is wonderful, Amen. and that is our hope, and we ought to rejoice in. That hope. The future for believers is so good and sure that joy should result in our lives no matter what our circumstances are. The hope that we have is so sure because God swore with an oath providing two immutable things that you can rest your hope on His promises. Hebrews chapter 6 says that he has given you an anchor for your soul that no matter what happens, your soul should be held together when you keep your mind on the Lord Lord Jehovah and on the Lord Jesus Christ and keep your mind stayed there. There is everlasting strength. Because he said by two things, God cannot lie, and he swore with an oath that he will not lose a single one of you, and he has guaranteed not a single one of you that believe on him and, and prove that faith by your works. He will not lose a single one. And He has guaranteed it by His oath. Hebrews chapter 6 is all about that. And God couldn't swear by anyone greater because He is the greatest, so He swore by Himself. He came up with that idea of swearing by Himself because He couldn't think of anyone else to swear by. And it's in the Bible so that you have a refuge to flee to to be hopeful always. What's the worst thing that's happened to you? You say, well, my health is so bad I could die. And (laughs) praise the Lord if our hearts in the right place. See, Paul didn't have anything like that, but Paul still said, praise the Lord. That is far better to depart and to be with Christ. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, according to the word of God. It is a lively hope. The Bible tells us in first Peter chapter one, because God raised Jesus from the dead. It isn't based on a dead man. It's based on a living man. It's not based on a dead Savior. It's based on a living Savior. He's the first fruits of them that slept. What do firstfruits mean? There's a harvest coming, and we're the harvest. And He's already there, raised from the dead, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Any part of your life, He can provide you a job when you don't have one. He can provide you health when you don't have it. He can provide you a spouse when you don't have it. And He can provide you blessings in your heart that if you don't have a spouse, a job, or health... You can be rejoicing. Do right. you read the pages of Scripture and find the beggar that was laid at the rich man's gate yes. lying there and the dogs came and licked his sores? You know why they came and licked his sores? Because they loved the tune that he was humming. Victory in Jesus. Those dogs licked his sores while they heard. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. Right. Victory in Jesus. Did he realize that victory a few days later? He was in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man was in hell. That's a reversal of fortune. We should be rejoicing in hope. Oh, who was better off? The rich man faring sumptuously every day? Or the beggar? Oh, Lord, let me be a beggar in your kingdom. Your hope will never be disappointed. Look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 28. You can find that book. It's in the middle of your Bible. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 28. Look what the Bible says. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness. Is that what we're learning? Rejoicing in hope. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The hope of the righteous. What is hope? The expectation of a desire. The expectation of a desire of the righteous shall be gladness because they're going to get everything they ever desired, everything they ever expected, everything they ever hoped for. But the expectation of the wicked shall perish. What they have desired, what they have hoped for, is not going to come to pass. What an incredible difference in our understanding of life and afterlife versus their life and afterlife. Thank you, Lord, for such a thing. If you're in the book of Proverbs, look at chapter 11 and verse 7. Proverbs 11, 7, when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. But the hope of unjust, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. Perish, perisheth, perish, perisheth. This world is hopeless. But we have had hidden wisdom revealed to us. There is something that is an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We have had something revealed to us. If you can't see it, it's eternal. If you can see it, it's temporal. They put every all their emphasis on things they can see. We put everything on things we can't see. We've been taught that by the Holy Ghost in the words of the living God. Look at chapter 14 and verse 32. Fourteen thirty-two. the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Oh, we'll see that verse again today, the Lord willing. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness. He's driven away from God's presence. He's driven away from the congregation of the Lord, as we heard from Psalm 1. But the righteous hath hope in the death of the righteous. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all of that. Your hope is by appointment to obtain salvation and live together with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8-10. through You have been appointed to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you going to do to build your hope now before you need true confidence and joy in it at your death? What are we going to do? I don't want to be trying to give you hope when you're on your deathbed. I want you to have hope before you get to your deathbed. I want you to have hope today. And I want to have hope today. I don't want to wait till then to try to make preparation for it. What can we do? The world is hopeless, so we need to be transformed away from it by the renewing of our minds. We need to build our faith with the Word of God and read the things that are there, a few of which we'll be covering today. The time for you to do it is now, so that we can die like believers. The reason for a church is to come apart from the world in assemblies like this and encourage ourselves in things that no one out there is ever going to encourage us about. There's 168 hours in a week. We spend four to six hours a week together. And the purpose for that ought to be to build ourselves up in the most holy faith and to increase our hope in the resurrection, in heaven, in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the rewards of our inheritance, and the other aspects of hope the Bible teaches us. Hope should lead to holy living, but that's not the point in this particular passage. In this particular passage, it should lead to joy, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation we find in Romans chapter 12 and verse 12. Patience in tribulation. This is part of the living sacrifice and being holy and acceptable to God. This is part of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life, to be patient in tribulation. Patience sometimes means to wait. Patience in this case does not mean to wait. Patience in this case means the cheerful enduring of negative events. In your life because the negative events are attached to this patience by the word tribulation. Tribulation are trials. Tribulations are afflictions, infirmities, persecutions, difficulties, negative events. So it's patient in tribulation. And a Christian ought to be patient in tribulation. We are going to walk out of this assembly with three things God's given us in three short, packed phrases. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Patient in tribulation. Patience is the suffering or enduring of pain, trouble, or evil with calmness and composure. That's the definition of the English word. The suffering or enduring of pain, trouble, or evil with calmness and composure. Now I've taken it beyond that, haven't I? I've said that the Bible definition of the word patience is the cheerful, enduring, of negative events. Do I have a Bible basis for doing that? Amen. Do I have a Bible basis for going beyond the English dictionary of our language because the men that wrote it do not know the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth? Amen. So we go to James chapter one and see if we can prove that the Bible definition of the, of the word patience goes beyond natural men. We define patience as cheerfully enduring painful events no matter how long they last. It's not a function of time as much as, as it is a function of pain, and it's not a result of waiting as long as, it is a, as much as it is a result of cheerfulness about it. James chapter one verse two. "My brethren, <clears throat> count it all waiting. When you fall into the divers temptations, count it all joy. Right. <clears throat> I've preached this in very careful detail. Several years ago, we went through the epistle of James, but from right now, just very quickly, my brethren, count it. If you're an accountant, if you're going to do some accounting, if you're going to do some reckoning, if you're going to figure some things out and do some figuring, then let's do it right here. Count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Different temptations. When you fall into health problems, when you fall into financial problems, family problems, marital problems, political problems in our country, whatever you fall into... Count it all joy when you fall in to those temptations because you ought to remember this, knowing this, that the trying, because see that temptation there is a trying event in your life. It's a negative event. It's painful to bear and endure. Worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, when I read those three verses, now can you appreciate the middle phrase in Romans 12, 12 as being full of meaning? This is perfectness as a Christian. You know, it's easy to be a Christian when you're getting promoted every six months, when the Lord sends you a beautiful wife, you start having beautiful children, the investments are just growing, bigger house, all these things happen, your health is robust, you're working out, you've set a new PR and a 5K, and you measure yourself by all this junk, and you think that you're happy, mm-hmm. and you act happy, and you come in here and you you hug everyone, and you're such a great Christian. But you know when a real Christian shows up? When they lose their job. A real Christian shows up when they lose their health. Are they then counting it all joy? It's easy to count it all joy when it's all good things happening. This is perfectness of a Christian. Can you understand why the Bible would say that? Why would it say that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing? Why would it say patience have her perfect work? Why would it lift up patience so high? Because when you're a good Christian and everything good is happening to you, you haven't proven anything. It's the same type of a comparison that Peter made in 1 Peter chapter 2, that if you're working for a good and gentle boss... You're on vacation. You're not proving submission. But if you have a forward master and for conscience toward God, you endure grief, suffering wrongfully. He's wrong. You're right. But you endure it out of conscience toward God. That man's done something thankworthy. See, that's like this patience. It's when something negative happens. So, who's looking forward to something negative happening? Frank, you've already got a few. Let's be cheerful and rejoice. Let's be ready for them. Thank you for not raising your hand, Mark. The last time I preached like this, we won't even go there. He raised his hand. I said, yes, brother. I need more patience. I said, do you know what you're asking for? There's only one way God can give it. Negative events in your life. And he had a few. Patient in tribulation. Are we ready? It's going to come. Right. If the Lord loves you, it's going to come. Yeah, right. Are you ready? Are you going to be patient? That does not mean I'll wait it out. It doesn't mean that at all. It means I will cheerfully rejoice and glory in my infirmities. Right. And when the man that said that was the Apostle Paul, he had more infirmities than you would be able to count in a 24-hour period. Amen. Oh, Lord, thank you for teaching us so many things, including this one right here. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. See, we were in James. You know, Martin Luther would tell us that James was off the beaten path and far out in left field. Let's go to Paul, since Martin Luther thought that the book of Romans was far superior to the book of James, and see what Paul taught about the same thing. Romans chapter 5 see we're we're doing 1 Corinthians 2:13 which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth but which the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual Amen. Romans 5:3 you know verse 1 tells us that by faith we have peace with God verse 2 tells us by faith we have access into the grace wherein we stand and we re- we, we, we 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 what We rejoice in hope of the glory of God because that's what our future is. It's the glory of God because we're going to be the children of God. We're going to be joint heirs with Christ and we're going to be glorified in body and we're going to be in a glorified heaven and upon a glorified earth. But, and not only so, you know, it's not enough to be at peace. It's not enough to have access into this grace wherein we stand. And it's not enough to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's something else. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. When negative events come, and you endure them, it gives you something called experience. And every parent and grandparent in this room knows what experience is, because their children don't have it and they can see the great gulf between their children and them on the developments of life, and you can't buy experience, and you can't get it when you're young because you haven't experienced anything. So how can you have experience when you haven't experimented or experienced anything? Right. you just got to listen. And the Bible tells you, So negative events come, they're called tribulations. They work patience, which is cheerfully enduring them. That results in experience, and experience gives you hope because God always delivers you in body and or soul. Always. And he sheds abroad his love in your heart while your body is suffering, your finances are suffering, anything else might be suffering, but he sheds abroad his love, you know God is with you, you know God loves you, you know God will never forsake you, so it results in hope. But how do you get to that hope out there? you got to back up to experience, and you got to back up from experience to patience and from patience to tribulation. So it starts with these negative events. The negative events are coming. Are you all ready for them? Are you excited about them? What is going to be my next negative event? Who's going to die in here first? That's not a good example because that's not a negative event. If our hearts, thank you, brother, if our hearts in the right place, one of us is going to die next. This is patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. We can't have it, we can't build it without having negative events in our lives. There's other benefits that flow from patient in tribulation. Listen, the Apostle Paul knew that greater glory came to Jesus Christ by his infirmities, his persecutions, and his trials and afflictions than if his life was good, Second Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He said that the Lord appeared to him and told him, my grace is sufficient for your weakness, and I'm glorified by my strength showing through you when you're being under trouble. You know what Paul said immediately, the next verse? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Right. He got excited about his infirmities because he knew that when I am weak, then am I strong and Christ's glory is upon me. Right. Because he's giving me strength that is unnatural. It is spiritual. Amen. So see, there's a side benefit to being patient in tribulation. Right. James indicates in James chapter 5, Behold them which endure. How the Lord is very pitiful and of a tender mercy. And what did Job get in the end? This is James chapter 5. He brings up Job as an example. See the patience of the prophets and see the patience of Job. And what he got in the end? See, if you're patient in tribulation, there can be a reward now and a reward later. You say, that's double dipping. Exactly! That's our God. He'll triple dip you if you have faith enough. It's taught that in the Bible, Mark chapter ten, Jesus, the rich young ruler, departed from Jesus. Peter jumps in there and says, "Lord, we've left all to follow you." Jesus said, "No man has left anything to follow me that I haven't restored it a hundredfold. Now, and eternal life in the world to come." There, patient in tribulation. Are you ready? If we can be patient in tribulation, you might get to Job a hundred, Peter and Jesus. For the thing you lost that you endured with a smile on your face, rejoicing and giving thanks to God. Do you understand that? These are side benefits. These are called fringe benefits. This is what is meant in Psalm 103 when it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Everybody worries about their benefit package. What are we going to have to pay for medical insurance for a month instead of worrying about God's blessing? Listen, God can take care of your health, and they can't. They can only mask symptoms, and God can give you perfect health, and he's, he's got a decent body waiting for you. Amen. And it, he's got the perfect cure for cancer and, and diabetes and congestive heart failure and everything else that we have need of in the body that's coming. Right. Um, Peter indicated that patience under a forward master is thankworthy from God. I've already mentioned that. What is, the, what is an evidence of election? The work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. It's a proof of eternal life. When we get into that list in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 5 through 11, where you can make your calling and election sure, you can, you can prove that you're one of God's elect in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. You start with faith. Do you believe that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Add to your faith knowledge, and to knowledge virtue, and to virtue godliness, and to godliness, it's a P word. Romans 12 12, middle phrase. Patience. 1 Thessalonians 1, patience of hope. It's in the list of eight things in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is how you prove you're a Christian. You don't prove you're a Christian by rejoicing and singing, oh how I love Jesus, when you just got a big bonus. You prove that you're a Christian and that you and you sing, oh how I love Jesus, when you lose your job. Right. That's how we do it. Patient in tribulation. You know the Lord Jesus Christ said, "In your patience, possess ye your souls." Did you know you can save yourself by being patient in tribulation? That's the word. That's the verse. It's Luke twenty-one, nineteen. In your patient, in your patience, possess ye your souls. The corollary in Matthew twenty-four is, "He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved." Amen. God is with those who will endure, cheerfully endure, and thank Him for the persecutions He brings into their lives. Let me give you one more verse about this, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 is about a beast that came up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. It's the pagan and papal empires of the of the kingdom of Rome. And upon the horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. But I want you to hear and see with your own eyes what it says here in the comfort that the Lord Jesus Christ gave in this book of prophecy about things that were going to happen during the what we call the dark ages when Europe and Christians in Europe were under the feet of the pagan and papal Roman Empire. Romans 13.10, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Amen. Do you know what the, how the Lord Jesus Christ comforted all the saints? Those people that are now taking you into captivity, they're going into captivity. Those people that are now killing you, I'm going to kill them. This is the patience and hope of the saints. You say they're hoping that somebody would get killed? Oh, yes. They're praying for it. All you've got to do is go back to chapter 6 and find the martyrs under the throne of God begging him for vengeance on earth for their blood. And God said, don't worry, I won't miss a drop. But let's just wait till the rest of your brethren are killed so that I can really meet out punishment as it's fit. Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, continuing instant in prayer. We should be rejoicing in hope. We should be patient in tribulation. Brethren, can we remember these little phrases? Are we going to walk out of here and forget these? Who's going to send text messages tomorrow? Send them to Sherry's phone. I'll get them. Text messages tomorrow, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and now this one, continuing instant in prayer. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, when the Bible says to continue in prayer, it doesn't mean that you're in a constant prayer from the moment of conversion to your death. It means that you don't give up on praying. It it means that you don't stop believing in prayer. It means that when you don't get an answer after one, two, three, five, ten petitions, that you just stop praying. It just means that you don't give up on prayer. It means that you continue to pray for things when it is your time to pray. David prayed three times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day. They weren't engaged in a day-long prayer. They weren't monks. They weren't nuns. They didn't go off into a monastery and sit around and finger beads all day long and have a feeding tube to keep them alive while they prayed. Just understand that. Continuing means we don't quit. We well know what that word means. Because we don't pray enough in our generation. And we Christians don't pray enough. It's the most powerful thing you can do for every aspect of your life. It's the most powerful thing you can do for every aspect of your family and for this church and for this nation. Continuing means we don't quit. Means we don't give up. Means we don't lose faith in praying. Means that we continue to bring petitions before the Lord even when they haven't been answered yet. We don't stop praying until the baby dies. And if you've got a lot of faith, you'll pray a little bit beyond that because the Lord can raise the dead. Amen. Continuing. Instant in prayer. What does instant mean? It doesn't mean you have instant prayers. You know, instant prayers sound something like this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. By His grace we all are fed. And give us, God, our daily bread. You know, that's a little memorized prayer, so I guess we could call that an instant prayer. But that's not what this verse means. Continuing, instant in prayer. The word instant means pressing, urgent, importunate. And importunate is a precious word. Thank you, Lord, for the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Do you know how few churches there are that even know what the word importunity means? Instant means pressing, urgent, importunate. Set of persons and their actions. Importunate means to solicit pressingly. Oh, we're using some... Defining words as synonyms. Right. I mean, and we're using them back and forth. We're using them for both words. To solicit pressingly and persistently. To ply or be set with requests. Importunity is pertinacity or constancy of action. Bothersome pertinacity. It's impudence. It's the direct translation. I don't ever do this to you. The direct translation. Oh, I don't even want to do it. But it's impudence. Because you're bordering on rudeness when you're praying instantly in the Bible use of that word. Consider Jacob's example. Would he quit? It's about morning. I need to go. The angel said. Did, by the way, did Jacob wrestle with God, an angel or a man? Who said that for Nathan? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Three passages of Scripture. He wrestled with God. He wrestled with an angel. He wrestled with a man. Why? Because it was God in the form of an angel that looked like a man. Is that a problem for you? Nope. You know, skeptics just love a verse like that. These different verses and say, look at the contradiction in the Bible. Well, what do you think an angel looks like? Is he going to come down like a bird? He just takes on the form of a man. Right. But it was an angel. But it was God in the form of an angel because the exchange was between God and Jacob. Jacob, we love Genesis chapter 32, there there wrestled a man with him till the break of day. He was so afraid of Esau coming to meet him with 400 men, and all he had was a bunch of little boys under the age of 13, and he was so afraid, and he begged God to help him and protect him, and a man came to wrestle with him, and it was the Lord God of heaven, and he wrestled with him for a while, and he said, listen, it's about morning time, I need to go, and Jacob had him in a headlock as a boy so so much confusion i know you've all heard it before i can still picture a picture which is never as good as the word of god but it helps little minds and it was called uh, uh, for little minds and that's what i had and little eyes he's got him in a headlock an angel says i need to go i will not let you go till you bless me right that is continuing that is continuing now a headlock hurts and a headlock takes enormous effort to hold a man in a headlock that is instant. There are examples in the Bible of continuing instant. It's time to quit pray it's time to quit wrestling with me. Wrestling is the most wrestling is the is the physical activity that takes the most exertion per second of any athletic endeavor of all. Right. That is why there are so few rounds in wrestling and so few minutes per round. Boxing is nothing compared to wrestling. A typical wrestling match is three rounds of two minutes. A typical boxing match is 15 rounds of three minutes. The difference is enormous. There's hardly any effort called forth in a boxing match comparable to wrestling. You have all your muscles engaged in all sorts of weird positions that you're trying to keep yourself from being pinned while another guy does everything in his power to pin you. And so the the Lord picked wrestling. I didn't pick wrestling. I don't Don't think that I like wrestling. I don't sit at home and watch the WWE or anybody else. I didn't pick wrestling. Right. The Lord picked wrestling. Right. And I love the example that he picked because his Bible is perfect. Amen. And if you've ever wrestled for over two minutes, you know that you're totally exhausted. Everything hurt. Every ligament hurt. Every joint hurt. If you're wrestling against somebody that was putting forth equal power against you. But there is the Lord and there is Jacob. Let me go. I will not let you go till you bless me. So the Lord touches his thigh and his thigh, your legs are by far the most powerful muscles in your body, out of joint. And I've said it a thousand times and I'm sorry for repeating myself, but we all need it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you begin praying, things will go from bad to worse. Mm -hmm. Jacob's situation went from bad to worse. Now he's going to have to limp with a cane or a walker or a wheelchair, he limped to meet his brother Esau. Genesis chapter 32. Did he let go because his thigh was out of joint now? No, he got his other leg wrapped around the the angel and said, I will not let you go. And the blessed God of heaven, who will hear every prayer of a child, woman, man, or or, uh, uh, boy or girl, or man or woman in this assembly, that God said, your name is no longer Jacob but Israel, Because you are a prince and you have just prevailed. And I give, you have won the wrestling match. Continuing instant prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What did Esau do when he met Jacob with 400 men? 400 men gathered around. What did Esau do? Fell on his neck and kissed him. Took all the gifts and said, brother Jacob here, have him back. I don't need any of that. He said, that's impossible. Not with the Lord. Continuing instant in prayer. Yes. Jacob prayed. Jacob continued and he was instant. He didn't quit even when things got worse. And he put forth maximum effort because it was called wrestling. I want to give you another example. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Three times he asked his apostles, watch and pray with me. That you enter not into temptation he went away and wrestled with the Lord and came back three times and found them asleep. Do you know what Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 says about his praying? Do you want to know how instant it was? Do you want to know how pressing and urgent it was? It's called with strong crying and tears. Strong crying and tears. And the gospel of Luke tells us he sweat as it were great drops of blood. That is instant praying. If you want to know what instant praying is, then go look at the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. Wrestling, not to meet, not because he was going to meet Esau, but because he was going to meet the bulls of Bashan and the lion himself while hanging on the cross with our sins upon him and God forsaking him. Strong crying and tears. Hebrews 5, 7 and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Is that some exertion? This is the example of a man of prayer. I don't care about Daniel praying, David praying, Moses, Samuel, Job, any of them in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ, who would go apart for a night into a mountain to pray all night. Forget three times a day, all night. And when the Lord Jesus Christ prayed, he prayed instantly like this describes Look at Luke 11. There are two examples you never want to forget about prayer when you're trying to explain the words continuing and instant. Let's go first to Luke 18. Luke 18. They're both in Luke. They're both at the beginning of their chapters. And all it takes is a little bit of memory work to know where do I find these? Luke 11 and Luke 18. What words do I look for? Unjust judge and importunity. That's all you need. If you like to use your little devices, then all you need to know is it's unjust judge in one place and it's importunity in the other. There's not too many unjust judges in the Bible, so you'll be able to pull it quickly. Luke 18. Look at verse 1. This is the Lord Jesus Christ giving us a commentary. Is this how we're supposed to study the Bible? Let me read to you in the book and the law of God distinctly. Continuing instant in prayer. Okay? Okay. Now I'm going to give you the sense by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.13 And this is the Lord Jesus Christ doing it. He spake a parable unto them to this end. It's wonderful when He tells us to what end, isn't it? When the Lord Jesus tells us exactly why He gave us a parable. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. So what word do we have here? Continuing. This is explaining continuing for us from Romans 12.12. Saying, Continual? Are we getting a commentary in the Bible, of the Bible? Lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, now it's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. The little parable is over. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? See, the Lord may bear long with you in some prayer request, But notice, it's not an unjust judge with a widow. It's the God of heaven with his elect. But there's continuing. No, I won't avenge you. No, I won't avenge you. No, I won't avenge you. No, I don't have time for frivolous little things like your situation. No, I don't have time. No, go away. Beep, beep, beep. The offices of the unjust judge are now closed. You know, as you... But eventually, because she kept leaving messages, every morning when he went in and hit play, there's the widow. Oh, she's back again. I'll avenge her. God's far better, but God does bear long with his elect sometimes. Right? Do you understand? Continuing. Why do we... Jesus gave this. I didn't give it. Luke didn't write... Luke just wrote what was inspired in him. Jesus gave these words. Jesus described the situation. Jesus said praying is like this. This is how you continue. Okay, back to Luke 11. Oh, and this other word that is just precious. Oh! Luke chapter 11. In verses 1 through 4, what is called the Lord's Prayer by some, what we call the disciples' prayer, because it's the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray, and so he taught them how to pray because it's disciples praying. The Lord's Prayer is truly in John 17. That's where Jesus was praying, but people call this the Lord's Prayer, and if that's comfortable for you, it's comfortable for me, as long as you understand the sense of the Word of God. But note that the prayer ends in verse 4, and here Jesus takes up in verse 5, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? and shall go unto him at midnight. Now, are you envisioning this? Don't read ahead of me. Think about the words. This is how you're supposed to read the word of God. I'm reading it to you distinctly. Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine and his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. It's a question mark because Jesus is asking you what you're going to do. There's three friends involved. You're the middle man. You've had, some, you've had a friend arrive at your door, and you don't have anything to feed him because you just ran out of food. The cupboard is bare. And so you go to this other party, the third party, who's another friend of yours, and say, it's midnight. And you say, listen, I've got a friend that's come. I don't have any food. Will you give me some food to feed him? And he from within shall answer and say, your friend. This is the third party. This is your friend that lives nearby. Trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. It's too late. I'm in bed. We've shut down for the night. Leave me alone. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, the relationship, the relationship is not enough. By itself. The relationship is not enough by itself. Jesus is teaching this. This isn't Luke, and it's not your pastor. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The relationship by itself is not enough. Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. And importunity does not mean necessity. Importunity does not mean emergency. Importunity means Obnoxious, impudent, rude conduct. Pressing, urgent, instant, wrestling. With what? The doorbell. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Here's five. Just stop ringing the doorbell. Did You say, I don't get that out of there. I think importunity means necessity. Then you need to go home and find an online dictionary and look up the word importunity and understand that it means exactly what instant means because importunity is one of the defining synonyms for instant and instant is one of the defining synonyms for importunity. It's not necessity. It's not because he's in a fix. It's because he's obnoxious in persistently, loudly banging the door like Jacob wrestling with the angel. This is giving the sense of the words of Scripture. And we want to rejoice in these words. We have rejoiced in this word, importunity, for a long time. Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth to get rid of him. And I say unto you, ask, seek, and knock. Don't just ask a little bit. You do some seeking after the God of heaven. And then you do some knocking on his door. Ask, seek, and knock. Because he wants us to be just like this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Listen, sometimes the relationship isn't enough. Sometimes you need to do something dramatic in praying. There was once a father that brought a lunatic son to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the disciples had to admit they couldn't cast the devil out of this lunatic. You you know the story well. I I gave a whole Wednesday evening on it several years ago. Remember? Remember? I vaguely do. The lunatic's son, it's Matthew chapter 17. And he comes and begs the Lord. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. Just reminding us that faith is necessary in prayer. But then he said, how be it? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. There are situations you can get yourself into where you need a little bit more door-knocking. A little bit more asking, seeking, and knocking. A little bit more wrestling. A little bit more, I will not let you go. A little bit of fasting, a little bit of sackcloth, a little bit of ashes. Because there are situations where God wants us to show that kind of instancy, that kind of importunity. And so it was in the case of the father of the lunatic. Fighting saints that do their best against the devil and his wiles, persevere in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 teaches us that. Are you praying as much as you should? How can you be encouraged to pray more? like this text teaches. How consistently do you pray? How continually? How insistent and pressing? Let me ask again. How consistently do you pray? How continually? How insistent and pressing are you in your praying? Are you too busy with life? Then you need to make changes. The apostles were once too busy with life too busy with ministerial life in Acts chapter 6. And so they came to the church of Jerusalem that had thousands of members and hundreds of widows and said, pick you out seven men of honest report that we can appoint as deacons so that they can take care of this matter of feeding these widows so that we can give ourselves continue, continually to the word of God in prayer. Whatever it takes in your life to change it, they instituted a new office of the New Testament church to make sure that the apostles had enough time to pray. I wonder if the church benefited by having those 12 men have a prayer meeting. Well, would you would would you think that it was a decent answer when a place shook? Amen. Would you think that when a, when Peter was chained to sixteen Roman soldiers in an innermost prison right. that the chains fell off, the doors opened, and Peter's out on the street as being decent? What hinders your praying? Carnality? Are you so carnally minded you don't think about prayer? It's a great, you know, you look, at a, you look at a thermometer outside your window, inside your house, in your digital readout, in your dash, because you're interested in reading the temperature of the day, outside, inside. The temperature of your life is one of the best measures is your praying. If the number if the number of minutes, if the number of minutes of your praying was put in a screen behind me of the last year, if the gaps between your praying were shown in a screen behind me which would deal with continually, if the intensity index of your praying was put in a scale behind me, which deals with the word instant, What would the rest of us ugly sinners think? What does the God of heaven think? Continuing instant in prayer. That isn't a a ministerial passage, that's a passage for the entire church. What hinders your praying? Are you too carnal? Is it a lack of faith that God's not going to answer your prayers? Is it a loss of the habit? It needs to be a habit. Is it God bearing along with you by not giving you the answers in your time frame? Is it a lack of emphasis from this pulpit? Is it a lack of instruction? Are you too busy? This is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me summarize. Rejoicing in hope. It says rejoicing, not surviving. Christians don't survive life. They rejoice through it. It's hope. It's not other things. It doesn't say rejoicing in your job, rejoicing in your hobby, or rejoicing in your family. It says rejoicing in hope, and there's no families in heaven. Of the family type that you're aware of now, we will be gathered to our people in heaven. Rejoicing in hope. Are we going to be rejoicing in hope, Christians? Patient in tribulation. Patience is cheer. It's not surviving. And tribulation are negative acts of God in your life. They're not things that are your fault. Things that are your fault are not being patient in tribulation. That's just you getting punished the way that you should get punished for the things that you have done foolishly. Patient in tribulation. Those are acts of God that you cheerfully endure. Are you looking forward to your next one? Are you going to cheerfully rejoice in it? Continuing instant in prayer. Continuing means not starting, because you should already be started. You're Christians. And it's not being spastic. It's continuing. It's not start, stop, stop. Continuing instant means fervent and intense not mechanically not going through the motions but loving the god that you're appealing to knowing that he has the power to answer knowing that he wants you to come importunately to him he wants you pressing him he wants you saying i will not let you go until you give me this matter this is romans 12:12 12, 12. this is i beseech you brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Right. This is the perfect will of God for you. This is what God's salvation in 11 chapters should result in your life. Three things for today. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. May the God of heaven bring all three out in all of your lives. Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen.